0: welcome once again to cinemaholics the major motion podcast where we talk about the biggest and the best films coming to theaters and streaming online from the san francisco bay area i'm john negroni film editor for in between drafts and from pittsburgh pennsylvania he's a news and entertainment writer at collider it is uh, uh that's that's strange Oh, uh, will ashton can you get that you don't you don't you don't hear it
1: Ah, who could that be
0: hmm, that's so strange uh,
1: uh, open the door. Why, it's my friend John. How you doing, John?
0: Will, how did you do that? You were with me in the cabin. Now you're outside of the cabin saying hello.
1: Uh the magic of audio, my friend. I this, can do anything.
0: This week we're talking about knock at the cabin.
1: All oh, people need is their imaginations.
0: We're uh, we're we're super late uh, to kick off our seventh season. Our seventh year begins this week, February 2023. And uh, yeah, we're, we're super late. Uh, we our, our schedules conflicted quite, quite, ha- uh, quite terribly. But you know what? The listeners did have something to tie them over. And I have to imagine the listeners who were sitting on their podcast app yesterday, last night, staring and refreshing over and over again, like, when are John and Will going to release their Knock of the Cabin review? And then finally, the wheel, the click icon starts to spin. There it is, the new episode. And wouldn't you know it, it's 80 for Brady with Will and special guest Corey Woodrow.
1: That's right. And yeah, they're we even more a special excited. Bonus. <laughs> yeah, we had a special bonus episode that we recorded last week uh, because John put his foot down and said, I am not, under any circumstances, going to watch 80 for Brady. And you know why, said, right? not even if it... Well, you know I, my baggage? It, I mean, I would presume... It has to do with the fact that it is, as the title would suggest, about Tom Brady and the New England Patriots, which is a disgusting organization and uh, probably the worst league in NFL. Though I'm certainly not a football fan, so maybe I'm uh, speaking too hastily. Uh, but is that your baggage with eighty for Brady, or do you have some sort of uh, hate? You, for the stars of his film.
0: You wish... I do not have hate for any of the stars of this film, except for Guy Fieri. But I, it, I wish it was that simple. I, I wish it was, you know, like you, you know, just sort of like, ah, I don't like the Patriots. It, it, for the listeners who don't know, I, I was born in Massachusetts. Stone's throw sure. from Foxborough. That's an embellishment. But I grew up my whole, my whole childhood... Into my 20s being a hardcore New England Patriots fan, hardcore fan of the Patriots oh, wow, and okay. Brady. The first year that I was into the Patriots was uh, 2000 and was like, it was just when Brady was starting out. And so like, I grew up watching the Patriots win all the time. And I, I have a very sore spot with that team because I had to go from loving the team to to despising them because of all their shenanigans and because of everything mm. that that organization represents. And that is worse. It's like one thing to be like, okay, let's say you're Will Ashen, you're a fan of like, who mm. knows, some not even a fan of football, but you're just like, yeah, man, these Patriots, they seem a little sus. But sure. like, imagine somebody told you tomorrow, Will, they're just like, ah, John Waters, you know, he's deflating okay. footballs.
1: Well, I certainly could say a few things about. Uh, John Waters deflating balls, but I don't know if it's <laughs> the time nor the place for I such I kept that in, by the
0: way, that comment you did. I couldn't resist.
1: Well, yeah. Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, I hope people enjoy that conversation. I hope you enjoyed that conversation, John. I uh, enjoyed uh, how you added it-
0: 10 minutes to make it an hour just to torture sure. me.
1: Um, yeah. I'm glad you kept that in, I guess. Uh, I didn't know if you would or not. I
0: kept a lot of stuff in, you know. and I- Sure. You were running the show. Okay. You were making the calls, the editorial decisions.
1: Sure. Yeah. But no, that's a fun conversation. Obviously, uh, Corey, if you know listeners, Corey Woodruff is a huge fan of the Atlanta Falcons. So it was kind of fun to hear his, uh, I guess, conflicted feelings on the film in that uh, the film is based on the 2017 Super Bowl, wherein the New England Patriots uh, had a pretty devastating upset. Of the Atlanta Falcons, and you want to
0: know the funniest thing? That was the first year I rooted against the Patriots for this, in the Super Bowl because mm. that's when it all just like came to a like I can't no more, none sure. of this.
1: And it's fascinating to watch the film because uh, I think for most people that was a pretty upsetting night, uh, and it was just a pretty sad display for uh, you know the fine sport of football, I suppose. Because uh, the Falcons had to be uh, pretty brutally We're really just
0: alienating all fans of this podcast who like the New England Patriots. (laughs) I hope nobody is listening and thinking we have anything against anybody who's a fan of the Patriots. Because like, literally everyone in my family still is, and I love them. And I have no ill will toward anybody who likes the Pats.
1: I mean, if it means anything, I watch one football game a year, and it's the Super Bowl. So I will watch the game on Sunday. But uh, I have uh, no affinity for football otherwise. In fact, I actively avoid it. Okay. So if that makes uh, my opinion on football less valid to anybody, and uh, especially if they're fans of the New England Patriots, then so be it.
0: Well, let's talk about a movie that we did not actively avoid. A movie called Knock of the Cabin. Well, I
1: didn't avoid 80 for Brady. I saw it out because I'm a fan of ensemble comedies.
0: With senior citizens, yes. Exactly. Knock of the Cabin. This is the latest film from M. Night Shyamalan. And it's the first time Will and I have talked about a Shyamalan movie together.
1: Sure. Since Glass. You could say it's another film about four friends who get together (laughs) under uh, uh, unbelievable circumstances (laughs) during a -a once-in-a-lifetime event.
0: Yes, that ends the world for many people.
1: (laughs) Exactly. There you go. You're <laughs> Feels on the like right the track. end of the world.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um. Yes. Yes. Uh, this is uh Shyamalan's latest film since Old. So Old came out summer of 2021, and and uh, Will you you and I weren't able to talk about that movie together. Kimber Meyer, special guest, was on, and it, it's been yes. too long since we had Kimber on the show. I, I I don't know I if agree. we have had wanted... one since Old. Mm.
1: I wanted her on for this conversation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine making her wait all the, Mm. all the way until Wednesday night? Um, Oh, man. But no, uh, for for this movie, for Shyamalan, he's been certainly on a bit of a streak in terms of his movies not being like he had a pretty he had a losing streak right uh, after his career really took off. He kind of had like sure. a, a moderate decline. He had movies like Lady in the Water and uh, The Village, which were popular. But, you know, they were just they were starting to get more critical, you know, upheaval since movies like Signs and Unbreakable and, of course, The Sixth Sense. But then he was just coming out with stinker after stinker. The Happening being the one that really kicked things off. The Last Airbender considered by many to be one of the worst adaptations of any um, like children's cartoon to live action in modern times. And uh, After Earth, of course, came next, and it just felt like Shyamalan really just had kind of lost it. He was going for like the blockbuster stuff. He was making movies about the apocalypse, you know. <laughs> uh, in some ways, with th- with stuff like The Happening and After Earth, or you know, in those cases, uh, After True. Earth being like more post-apocalypse, but with uh, then he came back with the the movie The Visit and yeah. The Visit, which I think is a really good film. I think it's one of his better ones. And after The Visit, you know he was kind of he was starting to self finance his movies because Hollywood said, you know what, Shyamalan more like Shyamalan don't. I don't do it. Uh, but no, he came back and he he put the risk in because he knew he still had the juice. He knew he still could make these movies and people would come see his stuff, you know, if he kind of returned to his roots, like uh, not just with The Visit, which was a, a horror kind of thing. So coming back to movies like Signs, Village and all that, but uh, also when he revived the Unbreakable franchise, made two more uh, unbreakable films sequels uh, and rounding out that trilogy with split which was a big hit uh, a lot of people really liked split and loved the reveal that it was going to you know have one more movie with glass uh i wasn't a big fan of either of those movies and then old was like his next like oh man his first original thing in quite a while since the visit in 2015 i want to say and yeah people liked that movie too but I've been on a bit of a like. I I don't like any of these movies. I, I I didn't really like Old very much, and I didn't really like Glass. I really didn't like Split, and I think there's something going on with me and Shyamalan. Um, but well, I feel like you've been more favorable on Shyamalan. You've been uh, liking what he's doing, and I, I want to talk to you about that because let's uh, sure. let's bring it to a head here before we set this movie up.
1: Yeah, I mean, you kind of allude to it, but it is fascinating that Shyamalan. Uh, he's still a fairly young guy, he's, I think in his early 50s at this point, but he's kind of in this late period resurgence where uh, with his third film, Sixth Sense, he became an undeniable phenomenon, the likes of which like, most directors could never possibly dream. And obviously, he emulated Hitchcock throughout his career, so he kind of put his face out there a lot. He kind of made himself a brand in some respects before that was even a thing for most directors. Uh, And yeah, I mean, certainly the um, hyperboles kind of came fast and early, but they weren't unwarranted. You know, if you watch Sixth Sense or if you watch Unbreakable, as you mentioned, like this is undeniably a confident, commanding filmmaker you see in those early films. Certainly not without, I guess you could say your quirks, Uh, throughout, but I think people were a lot more willing to forgive them because of the strengths. But as you were mentioning, uh, I guess around the time of Signs, that's when people, uh, I guess were maybe pushing back a little bit, at least maybe not initially, but I do know that's kind of the film that broke it for some people because that's when he was sort of infamously said to be the next Spielberg and people were kind of like, whoa, 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 whoa. what's going on? Well, I even
0: remember as a normie Uh, when that movie came out, like people were making fun of it. You know, they were being like, "Oh, this is kind of silly." Sure. Whereas, like that was a that was a departure from Sixth Sense and Unbreakable. Those movies were taken I mean, really seriously, and then people started I mean, referring to Shyamalan and making fun of the twists that he would do in his movies more.
1: Yeah, I mean, I always associated with Scary Movie three personally, right? Yeah, of, uh, <laughs> which really leans uh, heavy on yeah.
0: signs. Yeah,
1: yeah, and I mean, it's very easy to kind of make fun of Shyamalan. I think, like we said before, like those quirks that I'm mentioning, the kind of lead and die of painterly frames being maybe a little bit too self-serious, that very earnest way of filmmaking. uh, It it has a very kind of old fashioned romanticism that, you know, if if you, you know, poke at it or you, you certainly, his plots aren't always the most, uh, Robust in the sense that like his earlier films uh, were definitely more leading on the twist to the point where some of them are stronger than others. I think certainly the fame of Sixth Sense, as anyone would expect, kind of got to his head where he felt like every one of his films had to have a twist and some were maybe a little bit better than others. I mean, I feel like Science is a fascinating one for me because I kind of see it as the perfect middle for him. It has everything I love and everything I kind of get annoyed by with Shyamalan where you have some really incredibly directed sequences you have like a really strong theme about faith and the idea of you know exploring the unknown while you're challenging your own sense of uh, you know the greater unknown and your relationship to God and uh, yeah I mean there's just a lot of stuff in there that I really do love a lot and then there's just some really dumb stuff at the end uh, which I won't give away for anyone who hasn't seen that film but um, yeah, I mean, I think the village is the one I'm most curious to revisit some point down the road. I, I definitely mm-hmm. remember, I think liking it a little bit more most, but I know that's the one where the wheels sort of came off for a lot of people. They're kind I of like, I. Movie. yeah, and I, don't I know, knew I
0: mean, the I twist think, going into that movie. I, I, it was spoiled think, yeah. for me yeah. and I watched it and you know what? I was kind of like, this is a good ride.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think people were just kind of, I don't know. I think that was the one where the twist thing got people a little annoyed, but I don't know. I, I agree with you. Cause like, I knew the twist going into it. And I felt it was a little bit stronger because of that. Like it was more interesting for me To explore that film, what it's saying, also about faith and our relationship to the known, the unknown, Uh, something that uh, kind of becomes a recurring thing throughout his work. But yeah, but like that mid period, then you have like The Happening, then you have The Last Airbender, then you have After Earth, where he was just really kind of starting to branch out of his comfort zone. Like The Happening is his first R rated film. It's kind of emulating these sort of uh, heightened B movies from like the 50s and the 60s and just. With this style being so incredibly earnest, I think a lot of people just saw it as kind of wonky, and certainly because Shyamalan's strength isn't usually in his, uh, you know, naturalistic dialogue. I think a lot of people, understandably, were uh, prone to like make fun of that film, and obviously, like I said, the um, the shine was kind of off the, you know. Um, what's the expression? I'm, I can't remember exactly what it is. But I mean, it, it just seemed like that at that point, everyone was just kind of skewing away from their appreciation of Shyamalan. But The Visit, a film I don't necessarily love, but I can understand like, that was kind of the return. He was putting his own money into his work. He was going to That and
0: Wayward Pines, his, uh, the show that he was uh, executive producer of and uh, directed some episodes.
1: Yeah. I mean, Even though I don't love that film, I can certainly see, like, okay, this is Shyamalan kind of getting back in his element. Seems like he's a lot more comfortable. He's willing to experiment. He seems, like, a little bit more in control of his vision again. And Split, for me, was, like, that big return where it's, like, it felt like a relief for me. I can understand why people take issues with it. Certainly, uh, I feel like its portrayal of mental illness is something that... uh, is worth many many discussions uh i don't know if i'm equipped to have those discussions but uh, i think as a piece of you know early january entertainment it's incredibly slick and fun and goofy and it's led by a really fun performance from james mcavoy as long as a strong leading turn from anya taylor joy and yeah i mean i agree i i Personally, I, I wasn't here to discuss it, but um, I really did enjoy Old. I thought it was a very kind of tender and moving exploration of aging and going into the unknown. And certainly I think the pandemic has informed his work in a very interesting way. And I think this movie is a great example of that, where he has um, you know pushed those things that we've talked about before, in very direct and stark ways, but he's kept that earnestness and something that I do find really, uh, appealing about his work now is that he's had that kind of stark sort of formalism and that sense of control and that sense of undeniable style at a time when that's becoming less and less common in filmmaking. And I think, uh, his more recent works because he's kind of kept the focus a lot more contained and a lot more squared to the characters. He's allowed himself to also experiment with style and uh, filmmaking techniques. And that was especially the case with old. And I, I think that was for the better, but I can certainly understand that people kind of took that movie as maybe being more style over substance, I guess, or maybe more visually inventive than narratively compelling. And uh, I, I can understand that. I feel like that, kind of leads to my greater appreciation of Knock at the Cabin, though, because I think it takes that formal uh, exploration, that, that driven style and that confidence as a filmmaker, but it builds to a uh, story and trio of characters that are a lot more strong and a lot more compelling and a lot more kind of uh, well-rounded, I guess. Uh, and I uh, ultimately found myself to be Pretty fond of knocking the cabin, but I know that's something. <laughs> I wasn't you expecting to
0: do an entire play-by-play of the man's career go right into the review, just like.
1: <laughs> well, I, I <laughs> so you I got a lot to get like, off your chest. Well, I don't, well, for one, like I said, it wasn't in the old conversation, but I don't know. It just it's interesting because. I just feel like we are kind of at this re-evaluation of Shyamalan at this point. Like, I feel like he was a joke, obviously. Like, I just remember, you know, like when I was in middle school and high school and even kind of before that, like, people were knocking Shyamalan. They were obviously, you know, deriding him. And I think that was part of the reason why Hollywood was probably less confident to give him, uh, you know, projects. So he had this kind that's of That's what I meant before. He
0: returned to his roots. You know, it, yeah. it, when his roots is like his first movie, he, he made it himself. He borrowed money from his family to make that sure. movie. His second talking movie about
1: uh, Praying with Anger.
0: Praying with Anger, yeah. And, it, and his second movie, uh, you know, I think that one was also bootstrapped. And his like uh I think his parents were even like producers on that movie. And yeah, I mean that's that's that is to me when he's most at his most comfortable. But I look, I gotta be real here. And I'm not saying you're this person, but I do think that there is a segment of people who review movies like professionally who just kind of, I don't want to say overhype the guy, but I think they like overfocus on his positives. Like what's interesting about him as a filmmaker and then chastise everybody else who points out the numerous other things that don't work about his movies for the most part, right? And everybody has their subjective opinion, but I just think that there can be a little bit of this like preciousness to like, you don't get it. Or you're, you know, you write off Shyamalan, but he's the only director who, who's doing things this way. And it's like, no, he just, he makes movies and they can be really awkward. And it's, it's just, it, it, they're awkward in a way that I think people point out and and hinders people from fully enjoying them, but they're also kind of like awkward in a way that sometimes serves the movies better than expected. I think for like more like normal people who don't watch dozens of movies uh, a week, you know what I mean? Uh, So I just wanted to put that out because I know that there are a lot of people who are just like, Oh, everyone just, you know, is gonna discount, you know, M Night, not really give him a chance, not being open minded, and sometimes I feel a little bit like, no, he just kind of makes movies that sometimes I like with old in particular. I I just look at them and I'm like, th- this is a movie where I think that. It doesn't play to the guy's strengths the most in terms of what I think he's really good at uh, as a as a filmmaker. I think he he does everything when he makes his movies, and sometimes I can get in his own way because he's not good at every aspect of filmmaking. But I'm sure that's up for an even even bigger discussion, you know. But th- that's gen- genuinely like that's pretty much my critique of the movies like split and glass and, and old and going in and knock at the cabin. I'll admit like I, you know, I did see that first teaser and it did, it did suck me in, you know? And I, one thing that kind of, kind of moved me a little bit though, like in the opposite direction was this is an adaptation. And if there's one thing that I think Shyamalan is probably really just Hit or miss on. um, It's adapting other screenplays or like adapting, like, specifically uh, like books and like that's like old was based on uh, something like that, right? Sandcastle. Sure.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I'm presuming that this ties into your uh, very understandable disdain for The Last Airbender uh, based on a show that you love nearly and dearly. Uh, And I feel like that's maybe informing some of these negative feelings of Shyamalan, perhaps.
0: Maybe, but, you know, I'll finish with this. I'll just say, the thing that I like about the guy is that I think that he's a very conflicted person in a lot of aspects of his life. And he brings that sort of like ambiguity of like what the universe means to his movies. And it can be fascinating to watch. Like, I think like the morally gray uh, atmosphere of movies like Unbreakable and Sixth Sense, like that's kind of what makes those movies better than, you know, I think another filmmaker with the same tools would have done. Because uh, he's somebody who you know, like the guy was raised Hindu, but he was in uh, he grew up in Pennsylvania, shout out. For, um, but he he was like in a Catholic school, and he's always had this like dueling like his background versus like you know being American and you know the the religions that you know of his upbringing versus the real religion that he was sort of like assimilated into. And he clearly has a lot in his mind about, like you said, faith and like the universality of of faith and God and all of this stuff. But I think it uh, sometimes it, it comes through in the very disposable cheap ways. And I think that's what happens here with Knock of the Cabin. But okay. We gotta we gotta we gotta set this movie What is Knock of the Cabin? Sure. Yeah, Um, uh, this is based on a book called The Cabin at the End of the World by Paul G. Tremblay, which came out in 2018, and it follows a family, a same-sex couple and their adopted daughter, who are vacationing at a remote cabin in, you guessed, Pennsylvania, like a lot of Shyamalan's movies, uh, that takes place in Pennsylvania, and uh while they're you know hanging out and everything's going fine the young girl Wen, played by christine Kui, she is approached by a huge dude with tattoos and glasses his name is leonard he's played by dave bautista and uh, at first they kind of like hit it off he's very he seems very gentle but he's also you know the creep factor is coming is probably ringing for a lot of parents uh ultimately he scares her off she runs back inside and next thing we know Uh, He is joined by three other strangers, they all have makeshift weapons, and they're trying to bust into the cabin for reasons that are seemingly pretty dark and sinister. But of course, this is not a simple home invasion thriller, and I don't want to get into too much detail. the The trailer does spoil a little bit more than this, and we might speak to it to an extent of what the setup of this movie is, because it's not like there's some huge twist in the middle of the movie. A lot of this, a lot of what's going on, gets explained very early on, within like the first twenty minutes. Uh, but in terms of what we think. About the movie, uh, which, uh, by the way, the the two fathers are played by Jonathan Groff and Ben Aldridge. Uh, Rupert Grint is in this movie as well, along with Nikki and Bird and Abby Quinn will uh, knock at the cabin. Um, are you answering the door?
1: I am, yeah. And I mean, I kind of led uh, already with my <laughs> uh, thoughts of the film, I suppose. But um, I will say, I mean, it's funny that you mentioned that y- you feel like people give him uh, too much credit or come too much slack, because I feel like I'm sort of at the opposite end of things. Like, I feel like people get so hung up on his faults so they don't really appreciate what he does really well. And I think this is a really good example of that, because, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Especially with Old and with this movie, too. I just feel like, look, teach are own. I'm not going to take away from anyone's criticisms uh, of the film. And I think there are a like, lot genuine, valid criticisms to be made about Old and uh, Knock the Cabin. But I feel like at this point, like, when people are like, oh, the dialogue is still stilted. Oh, like this and that about the writing. I don't know. I mean, some of the criticisms I get, a lot of them I'm also kind of just like, I don't know, for lack of a better word, I feel like they're just kind of hack at this point. Because, I don't know. I mean, I guess at this point, you just kind of know what to expect with Shyamalan. Like, he's made what, like 10 or so films at this point? I don't know. I just don't really get why people get so hung up on the dialogue as much. And the one thing I, I find myself really uh, impressed with, with this film is that it seems a lot more natural. I think part of that is because uh, of, it being an adaptation. So I guess I push against you being like, he's as weakest when He's making an adaptation because I feel like he's, void here by the fact that he's able to take someone else's work and have kind of more robust kind of discussions and i think it's also elevated well, by having I'll, performers like batista and the the young actress here i forget her name i apologize Kristen but, but no this, Kristen i don't Kui. think
0: the dialogue is bad in this movie okay for its credit i i don't think it old i think it, it had pretty bad dialogue I, I i just i think it's bad but like i don't think it's just awkward or stilted. i just think it's badly written And this in this i actually think that it's better like it's it's perfectly fine serviceable
1: yeah i don't know i just i just feel like it's something that people get kind of hung up on and i just don't at this point really understand why it just seems like kind of i don't know for everything that he does i think well with this film and and that film i just feel like it's just one of those things where it's like yeah i mean you can criticize it sure i just don't really think it's worth you know just dis- uh it, it disparaging what else works in those films but with this one yeah i agree i think it is elevated tremendously by the strengths of these two performances in particular um i think uh it reminds me again uh the young actresses say i'm gonna remember it this time but
0: <laughs> kristen Quee. <laughs> uh,
1: kristen Quie yes uh when who i think is probably the best child actress performance or best child performance uh that jamalan has directed since Haley joe osmond you think that's fair to say or you think that's too much of a leap?
0: I'd have to think about it. Um I,
1: don't I know, think
0: I think, I think the kids in the visit are pretty good. Um Yeah,
1: I, I, you might be you they're might not as right. young.
0: So sure. I like I get what you're saying. Like they're kind of more like preteens, you know, it's like you really count that. I mean, i kids are old
1: Yeah. I don't know. I mean and I, I think there's certainly some strong performances. Uh, in Old, too. But I think the big thing about Shyamalan in his previous film, certainly this is the case with Old, is that I think he tended to kind of rely a lot on, like, theatrical actors. And I think maybe that was kind of part of the reason why some of the dialogue came very stilted, because they're very true to the text. And I think maybe they they kind of gave it kind of more of, like, gravitas, so it kind of seemed less natural. Whereas with this movie, uh, Batiste's performance in particular, there's just such a great kind of balance between, you know, like this hulking, imposing figure and this very gentle, earnest soul. That you know is, uh, you know, multi layered. Certainly, because Batista is an actor who you know comes from this wrestling background, but he's clearly trying to challenge himself as a performer. Wants to work with more auteur driven storytellers, and is like clearly you know kind of pushing himself here in a way that we haven't really seen from him. Uh, with the, he's the best part of
0: this movie, he's he's he knows what he's supposed to do here. He knows that he's like extremely distracting in terms of he's the biggest most like, whoa, character, but he uses his presence to his benefit. He's not quipping jokes like the rock. He understands his lane is that he's just he can do more insightful characters than that.
1: Yeah, but I mean, I think similar to Shyamalan, though, like there's just an incredible earnestness to his performance here. And I guess people kind of get hung up on the silliness of the premise, but I think I was never really bothered by, like, how goofy or over-the-top it is because I believe Batista, and I believe that, like, he, you know, is someone who, whether he is a crazy cult leader or he's actually foretelling the apocalypse, like, I believe in his conviction, and I don't really, like, see him as, like, this, like, uh, mysterious antagonist, or this kind of you know woeful guy. Like it's just it's a multi-layered performance that really you know brings out the mystique, but also just the tragedy of this guy. And I think you know having that performance anchor this movie is uh, exceptional in its own right. But I think this is also probably some of the best acting that he's gotten from any of his casts in a long time. I think there's like no Blade runner twenty think- forty
0: nine probably being the last. You know, well, I meant, and he like, wasn't uh, even in that as much.
1: Oh, I I certainly agree that like this is probably one of his best performances, but I meant uh this is some of the best acting that Shaman's, I think, done as a director. Oh. Or like gotten as a director, I mean. Uh, uh just, like I,
0: just from Batista, I don't think anybody else in here is all that really? you know. I think okay. I think the young kid is good, but like I, I really don't know. Like I, kid, I, yeah. I would not go that far. Like I, I really don't think there's a lot going on here that is as, you know, tantalizing as you're making hmm. it sound, personally. Why is like uh, well look I, mean, I I don't even I don't even dislike this film. Like the first part of it, I think that like the first half hour to 45 minutes I thought were really solid. I was really like, sure. oh, this is interesting. I kind of want to see where this goes. I thought the performances were all pretty good and, and Bautista was on fire. Right. But I think I think as it goes along, it just continues to take away it's all the credit that it's building up. And I think ultimately the, the issue I have with this movie, it's different from the issues I've had with other Shyamalan movies, even a movie like old, which like I liked that movie better than glass and split. I found it more entertaining than those movies, but you know, my my issue with old, it wasn't the tenderness, it wasn't the sort of like finding the, you know, the sort of, uh, you know, heart in this like extremely outrageous situation. Uh, f- but it, it was other things. It was technical things. It was just the way the movie moved. Uh, this movie like moves, like the pacing is actually there. I actually kind of, you know, I'm interested in these characters and I want to see what happens next scene to scene. This is stuff that I was like, oh, wow. Like w- we actually have like, I think for, for me at least the first really good Shyamalan movie in a while. But ultimately, okay. I think where this movie lands, where it goes, and it's—I think this is a case where it's like its last half hour, kind of just for me, it just ruined it. it and it, and we can talk about that, but you know, obviously, like uh, not in as much detail.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm certainly without criticisms to be fair, and I—I I think uh, with old, I don't know, I, I don't really understand what you mean by that because I felt like the pacing was very deliberate and need to be kind of. Disorienting and that experience needed to be like that for that uh, film to work. But I get where you're coming from in the sense that, like, that film in this movie, without giving anything away for either film, there is that kind of nagging feeling of just like, oh, Shyamalan, can you just trust your audience just a little bit? <laughs> Like there's uh you know, there's a scene in that movie where it's just kinda like you're giving away too you're explaining too much. Like you you can just let this be and you don't need to monologue over this. You know or you don't need a character monologue, I mean. And this movie was even more pronounced because it's just like there's one character here who's explaining the metaphor, such as it is, and it's just like, man, you could just trust your audience here. You didn't have to do that. You know, you didn't have to spoon feed them. Uh, and that, that kind of nod at me. But it is interesting that, yeah, I mean, without giving anything away with the book, because I was reading the synopsis, like, uh, it seems like this is a fairly faithful adaptation up to a point and then there's a very drastic change that and it's happened. i
0: think it's the the most offensive thing about this i think it takes everything that the book was trying to do and just spits in its face and like it's it to me it's sh- it's classic Shyamalan just not understanding I think the fundamentals of like the connection between the emotional part of storytelling and the practical part of storytelling and like completely miss and you mentioned like you you know seeing how COVID and pandemic stuff has gotten to him I think he like took a look at everything that's going on around him and just like handed us like a completely different, like just such a weird, toneless, like absolute misunderstanding of the world around him that I find deeply like annoying because I'm like, he's smarter than that. And I just think that he either doesn't care or he's just kind of like looking at it and just making these changes for the heck of it, which I don't think is the case because I don't think he's that kind of person.
1: Oh, I, yeah! I totally disagree. I think he's just trying to do something different than where the source material wants to go. I think he's going. I think he's doing it purposely.
0: I think he's doing it purposely,
1: but mm-hmm. I think he's doing it in search of empathy. Like I don't think he's doing this to be, you know, um, you know, contrary or anything. That's like That's kind of
0: what. I'm- no, that's what uh, – no, so we agree. We agree. I'm saying sure. that he's not doing it just to do something different for the sake of it. Uh, no, I, which think I think it's would be, very
1: deliberate. I mean, you can disagree with it all you want, but I feel like – That's that what I, I said. said yeah,
0: I'm not, yeah, I'm not saying that he did that. I'm no, saying no, no, it's but, like one of two things, and I don't think it was that.
1: But I don't get why you feel it's a spit in the face the novel, because I feel like the novel is kind of going for something more sort of sensational, and he's, he's going for something more kind of soulful and searching, like you were kind of alluding to before. Because there's no
0: honesty to it. I think that he's look, he, He's just kind it. of looking at what the book was trying to do and how the book was trying to present the world a certain way and to really sort of get the reader to understand like what the world does to people. And there's empathy to be found in that. There's empathy to be found in that kind of like, uh, I don't want to even say the word because it might give away certain things that have to do with the book. And then he takes his movie and it to me, it's just like putting vanilla ice cream on top of like a diamond. Like it, it's just vanilla. It is just a complete, like, I do not it's just not honest to me. It's just sort of, it's completely superficial and kind of just extremely lazy. Like I, I genuinely like look at it and I'm like, what, why even adapt this? Um, and I I just think that it's one of those things where like, if you're going to make the change, you know, this is interesting. I'm going to bring up the last of us, which you haven't been watching. Um, and you claim you never will. But uh, you know, I've been watching sure. that show on HBO and uh, I've been listening to the the podcast, the official podcast that like accompanies it where the creator Craig Mazin, uh, I know you're the biggest fan of his movies, uh, he says uh, he
1: he talks well, hang about on, how- hang on, hang on. <laughs> I have nothing against Craig Mazin. I don't I, know what I'm you're just... going uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I mean he, he's had some, you know, stinks but him. I mean, you know, I'm not against him or anything. I think he's an okay. incredibly yeah, smart you're not talented writer. It.
0: I mean, you said you want to watch Chernobyl at some point, but anyway, or you might watch it. Uh, But anyway, all that to say, while making The Last of Us, which is an adaptation of a video game, but into a TV show, he and uh, one of the other showrunners, Neil Druckmann, who uh, not going to be a showrunner for season two, but he they talk about because Neil Druckmann was the director, the creator of the games right, in terms of the story and all that, and when they were looking at what changes to make when they were adapting the video game to the show, and to be clear, for people who don't understand, The Last of Us is considered one of the best video game stories, like in all of video games, Uh, it's just, it's hailed as like a modern classic among the gaming community for its story, and they were looking at like, you know, there are certain things they have to change, right, for The show because it can't be a one-to-one and their rule for every little thing they say is that if it was the same in terms of the quality if it was the same kind of thing or worse they would just do what the game did And I do not think that that is the same kind of rule being applied here, because it's not the same, uh, you know, kind of quality level at all, which I think some people would say. No, it's maybe it's better. Some people would say, I don't think it is. I think it's way worse. And I think it betrays the spirit of the book. Uh, And it's a horror book, too. I think it's also kind of weird that this movie's so bloodless considering where it's coming from.
1: Uh, I mean, you say that, but it's only a second R-rated film. Um, you know, you wouldn't it's know not, like, it boring. watching yeah. this
0: movie. I was like, wait, is uh, this PG-13 until not, like
1: a couple f bombs get dropped? Uh, it gets pretty violent, but, um,
0: most of it's cutaways. A lot of it's off screen. Sure. I, I it think is. that they could have yeah. very easily, they could have turned this PG-13 in like a split second. And I sure. think there was a lot going on behind no the scenes in. with that, that probably was out not even Sean Malone's fault, to be perfectly yeah. honest.
1: Split second, no pun intended, I'm sure. Nice. Um, but no, I mean, it's funny that you kind of mentioned that, though, because I think what's fascinating to me about this film, uh, as far as its place in Shyamalan's filmography, is that, uh, you know, when I talk to people about the film, or I mention that I've seen the film, the question I get inevitably is, oh, so what's the twist? Or... Is the twist any good? And stuff like that. And the funny thing for me about this movie or the thing that I find most interesting, I should say, is that it's not really twist based without giving anything away. It's it's probably the most straightforward film of his filmography in some respects, like outside maybe The Last Airbender uh, or I guess after to some respect, too. But yeah, I mean, sure. I think. The fact that he is kind of just playing it straight, that he wants to just kind of tell the story of an apocalypse writ small, and how, you know, we have to kind of find love at a time of chaos and searching for that faith uh, at a time when it's so easy to be contrary, and having that kind of balance between cynicism and optimism. Uh, you know, when everything around you seems to be kind of falling apart, uh, I don't know. I just think that's really compelling stuff, and I think that I think stuff there's that- a
0: way to do it in a compelling way. I don't think this is. I I think the I idea mean- of that is compelling. I think of something like Star Wars. Um, I think of like the Last Jedi, which everyone's anticipating. Sure. Like Ray is, you know, going to be like you know somebody in you know related to somebody, and then Ryan Johnson famously was like. You know, the twist is that there's no twist. The revelation is that there's no revelation. I'm not going to do the same thing they did in Empire Strikes Back. Obviously, they undid that in the the next movie. Um, But like that to me is like that's how you do it the right way. That's how you can have an anti-climax or you can sort of be like, you know, you you know, you can do what you're saying. But I think for me, at least, it it was more of like a that's it. Like, okay, you're not really going to. okay.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess it just depends on how you respond to that emotionality. And I think that's just something that's been uh, a conflict, I guess, for Shyamalan throughout his career, as I was kind of alluding to earlier, is that I think because of that earnestness, uh, you know, people respond to in different ways. And I think that's something that's kind of been prevalent in a lot of the criticisms that he's gotten is that he is someone who is kind of unabashedly sentimental, uh, you know, you could say to point being mockish because he kind of makes these very sort of uh, grandiose films that don't always rely on realism. And to me, I think he's better off when he doesn't rely on realism. I think that's why I find myself, I guess, more negative on The Visit than others, because he's going for that found footage style. He's trying to be more grounded and realistic, up until, I mean, a certain point in that film, obviously. But uh, I, I think that's, to Shyamalan's detriment, because that that kind of enforces a lot of the flaws that I, I think that that's kind of where I disagree. Yeah. <laughs> See, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's. Kind I just, of I just find to... it
0: like it's a. I find it more comfortable in that mode. And this, I just feel yeah. like he tries too hard, or he just—I don't even know. Like that, tri- sometimes tries too uh, little.
1: I don't know. I mean, that's the thing is, I I thought it was a perfectly nice balance. No, not maybe not perfect, but uh, a very good balance of. That, you know, stylistic filmmaking where he's clearly trying to push himself in in terms of style, having this very contained location and using a lot of different camera tricks. Obviously, like he's very uh, fond love of like close ups and, you know, these dopper shots and all these things. Sure. I think all that's great. Yeah, I think I I think he manages to
0: make I think he manages to make something that seems kind of bland on the surface, kind of interesting, and exciting as it moves
1: yeah and i think he if i recall correctly used a lot of like 90s lens he also shot on 35 millimeter but he used a lot of like 90s lens to kind of give it that kind of crisp uh you know 90s look he did to you know heighten the style and kind of give it more of that throwback feel uh to his earlier films one
0: uh, of the th- co-cinematographers by the way jaron blask uh, the lighthouse
1: mm-hmm. yeah i don't know i mean Ultimately, I guess, kind of going back to what I said before, I guess it just depends on how you respond to that, you know, uh, melodramatic sense of heightened emotionality. Uh, I I don't know. It works for me, at least at this point in my life. I I feel like there is something incredibly sincere and moving here. Uh, I can understand where you're coming from, where you feel it's, you know, to the film's detriment that plays against what it's doing well in the first uh, two thirds of the film. Uh, I won't, you know, I, I don't disagree in full. I mean, I, I certainly think the, the last two thirds, because it moves away from the source material and is the most Shyamalan part of the film is where it is maybe a little bit more wobbly, but I don't know. I, I think that, uh, you know, that, that emotionality rings true. And I think the performances, uh, like I was saying before, really stand out. Um, yeah, I really, uh, I don't know. I, I, I thought it worked, but I can see where you're coming from.
0: I think it comes down to the message as the biggest issues. I think there are little issues all over this movie. I I didn't fully love uh, for one thing, like the chemistry between uh, Groff and Aldridge in certain aspects seemed a little forced to me. Uh, like there were times when there was like something there, but I I, I think that, I think when they're in like a crisis and like, they're kind of like in their different modes, there were just moments where I think Aldridge was just kind of like, I don't know, I I wasn't buying it as well. And I I think that those performances had some rough edges for me, but I didn't think that they were bad. I I just think that, you know, the awkwardness of the movie kind of came through for me there. Uh,
1: uh, yeah, no, I, Definitely disagree. I thought their chemistry was really like I, I keep using this word, but tender and emotional. And I, so I wasn't I the flashbacks.
0: It. The flashbacks have to do a lot of heavy lifting for that, which I get. Um, I mean.
1: I will give that, like, Aldridge is kind of sacked with, like, the weaker sort of, like, constantly being like, this is ridiculous, After a certain point, it's kind of just like, all right. It's kind like, of what I'm getting
0: at. It. It's just, like, a, it's a bit one note. In the flashbacks, we get more, like, depth and layer. But um, anyway, the, the main thing I wanted to say is, like, it really is the message of this movie. And, like, ultimately, what I think Shyamalan's trying to say, which... It amounts to like not that much of note that's interesting that kind of just gets away from the potential of this. Uh, But I think to say any more on that, we'd have to maybe do a little spoiler warning because I kind of want to touch on it. We don't have to get into super detail here. But, you know, if you want to watch this movie like totally fresh, I think you've gotten a sense of where we're at with this. Um, I I certainly do not like this movie. I think it's one of Shaman's worst. And uh, in terms of like where it lands, I think it undermines what, you know, aspects of the movie that I think are good.
1: Um, I like think that's a crazy thing to say, but you're entitled to it, your opinion.
0: Absolutely not. I I I would not uh I would watch old over this. I I genuinely would. Um, I'd I'd watch most of his earlier films. I, I think mean, this is like for me yeah. it's on par with movies like The Last airbender and The Happening, honestly. Um I just think that's that crazy. it's it's extremely weak. No,
1: that's um, that's a crazy thing to say. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I just do not like it. But uh I think that uh to say anymore I, I, I again one last spoiler warning. We'll play the Rotten Tomatoes game in a minute, um, but you know we won't give away the ending of the movie necessarily. But I just I just kind of want to say something that could possibly make people be like, oh, wait, I wonder. You know, uh, it, ultimately, ultimately, I think this movie just lands on you know, this question between, you know, uh, like the QAnon thing, right? And the book was written in 2018. It was very purposely written in a time when QAnon was really taking off and was like kind of a bigger thing. And I think as, as you look through that book, and as you're reading that book, you kind of get what the author was trying to say about like the QAnon and stuff like that. And this idea that the moral question in here, like, would you kill someone you love? Uh, in order to save the entire world. But the book examines like how absurd of a dilemma that is. It kind of subverts the trolley problem to be like, that's not even the point. You know, the idea that like the world is like this is is certainly um, like that's the first thing that you need to address. And I think the movie, what Shyamalan, I think originally like the reason I kind of like where he's going in the beginning is because the question he seems to be coming after is like you know, what about the world is worth saving? Is it like the population of the world or, you know, what a person is like the soul. And that's where I was kind of like, this is interesting. I I hope you explore more of that. And I think when we get to the end and we get to the part where like, it's supposed to come together, he just whiffs it. I think he just completely like just cuts the text up and it just becomes this kind of like wishy-washy, like it feels like the end of a left behind movie, the, you know, the kind of like those faith based movies and like, you know, people can enjoy those movies all they want, but like just this saccharine sort of like baby's first, like Jesus allegory sorts of things that I just found extremely like, just flying in the face of everything that came before it. And it's such a lopsided mess that that's why to me, it's like the worst. It's like, because to me, what makes it the worst, at least those other movies, like they're bad the whole way through. I can watch the happening and laugh at it. This movie, like I'm expecting it to end. Well, I'm, I have a good ending and I'm liking it as it goes. And then it just squashes all that potential as it keeps moving. And so that's my rant.
1: I mean, I will say that, I don't know. I I guess you've read the book then. I haven't read the book. I mean, I can't compare it in full. Um, so it's a good book.
0: I I recommend it over this. I mean, it's not the best book you'll ever read in your life or anything like that, but it's in my opinion, just better.
1: I mean, it seems like a solid kind of, I don't mean this dismissively. I I mean this, uh, uh, earnestly, I guess it's, it seems like a cool, like airplane novel kind of book, like something, you know, like a good page turner.
0: Totally. Yeah, Uh, it is. It is in that mode. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean. Uh, yeah, I guess it kind of goes into some spoilery stuff, so I can I can hold my tongue for now, I guess. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think that's some of the stuff I find most fascinating about the film. And I don't know, like I said, if you find it mawkish, if you find it, uh, you know, treacly, I, I can't fault anyone for that. I, I think it's a lot smarter and a lot more uh, soulful and uh, well done than what you're saying. But I mean, you know. It's the weakest segment of the film, and I, it, it's the end of the film, so I, I can see why it, it rubs you the wrong way. I still think it's an incredibly absurd thing to say that this is anywhere near uh, the level of the happening, or even The Last Airbender. Uh, I think that's an incredibly absurd thing to say, no matter how you feel about the end of the film. But that's just me.
0: I just I just feel bad that when we, we both walked into this room to talk about this movie, you must have felt so awkward as uh, I started talking smack about the movie, and here you sat with your boogie shoes on. Mm-hmm. And you're yeah. like, oh, wow, this is awkward.
1: I I applaud could, you. I could tell you You said you, you, in your brain you were just like, uh, he knocks you over the head with the, the theme of the film. I know that's something you were going to use. And you're <laughs> like, that's too obvious. I need to skate around. <laughs> I need to be elegant with my metaphors. But, yeah, I applaud if you for, for not going for that.
0: I, I probably would have if I had thought of it. Okay. Should we play the Rotten Tomatoes game? No more fighting?
1: Yeah, um, well, I mean, unless we do spoilers, I guess yeah, no more fighting.
0: All right. Knock the Cabin. Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, have you been spoiled on this yet?
1: At all? Uh, the Rotten Tomatoes score? No, I think the only thing I got spoiled on was the cinema score.
0: Okay. Well, uh, we have 250 re- 254 reviews counted. One of them's mine, so you get a little bit of a hint. Yeah. Uh, what do you think the critic score is right now?
1: Uh, I'm going to assume it's mixed, because I know old was pretty mixed. Wasn't that in, like, the 50s?
0: i'll double check uh, but yeah i think it was lower uh than glass but i actually don't remember what glass was at this point no uh, i thought it
1: was i don't know, i could have sworn it was higher than glass old was 50 okay, percent. okay it was right down the middle
0: glass uh, was i'm giving you so many hints 36 percent. okay I yeah, yeah i thought it was, was, was higher
1: huh. and i remember split was uh like it was fresh I don't yes. think it was like super fresh, but it was like in the 70s or 60s. So I think I think it's closer to split than to glass or even to old. I don't I don't know if it's fresh, but I'm gonna assume it's like lightly fresh, like kind of in that like you know okay. phase in between. So I'm gonna say sixty-four percent.
0: Not bad. That's close. That's close. You're just, uh, you're four off. So do you think it's 60 or 68?
1: It's tricky. I, it does seem like this one similar to old is, is dividing critics or dividing people I've talked to, at least, or people I follow on Letterboxd. But um, I don't know. It seems like most people are at least giving it the benefit of the doubt. Like I say, I think a lot of people are impressed with the the concept, the performances, the filmmaking, uh, even if they may take issue like you with the end of the film. So I'm going to say more people are positive than negative. So I'm going to say uh, four points up.
0: It is 68%. Well done. Well yeah. done. Uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, Split was 78 So. Yeah, just 10 away. Okay, so that
1: was even higher than I thought.
0: Yeah, yeah, same. I would have guessed in the 60s as well, Uh, or early 70s. All right, what about the audience score? We have 500-plus verified ratings, and we should say, too, I mean, the movie, it's made $24.9 million so far, um, which is okay. Uh, $20 million budget, you know, it's making some money. Uh, I think old... Uh, finished out at around like 90 million. So I'm not sure if this is going to outpace that. I guess it depends on what other movies in competition do. I mean it's, it's kind of the main game in town for a little bit. But we have Valentine's Day. Are people going to watch this for Valentine's Day? We'll find out. Uh but yeah, what do you think the audience score is?
1: Um I think the audience score I don't know. I feel like audiences are maybe more forgiving than critics on this one. Um I can't say that with certainty, but that's just what my my guts feeling. I'm gonna say 76%
0: it is not 76% it is lower than the critics
1: oh. were oh okay yeah. 65% 65 uh, oh, okay so not yeah. too much lower I mean so fresh
0: yeah and I am not even I don't I'm not sure because it could be one of those things like sometimes movies that have like same-sex couples and representation sometimes they get reviewed bond and sometimes like people yeah. are just like you know bigots and so sure. sometimes yeah it can be hard to to, to judge you know I that's mean, the real deal
1: i will say i i mean i i have not gone looking for this so i don't want to say with any certainty but it doesn't seem like this movie is getting the same sort of uh lambasting that something like lightyear did for having like a same-sex kiss or anything
0: and like i that. honestly want i think the reason for that is a because it's r-rated and b because like the gay couples being terrorized the whole time and so that to me, it's different. Like usually movies are getting called like woke or whatever um, because they're showing it more normalized, you know what I mean? And so I think like uh, lots of movies, like when if you show gay people and like they're going through something terrible, it tends to not ruffle people's feathers. Not that that can't happen in a movie because it's like, you know, like yeah, same sex couples. I like at least I too, like, we didn't even mention this, but I mean, the movie does recognize the obvious, which is that like they, you know, are kind of, like, right to believe that this stuff is happening because they're being targeted. You know what I mean? And there's actually, like, some interesting stuff there. Um, But we didn't even get into, like, the, you know, the queer politics of all this stuff in the movie proper. And uh, I don't feel as equipped to, you know, dive into that super far, but...
1: Yeah, I mean, that's kind of where I was at. I did want to ask you, though, about what where you, where you felt about Rupert Grint's performance? Because I feel like I haven't seen him in anything uh, in a while. He was like in since,
0: Servant, which, you know, carry over from uh, Shyamalan. Uh, you know, sure. that's his show uh, on Apple. And not, I think Servants uh, just had its new season. I was going to um, say,
1: I mean, um, I, I'm, I'm not saying he hasn't been working. I'm just saying personally, I don't know if I've seen him in anything i mean i haven't
0: either i haven't seen yeah. servant so that's the only thing i'm aware of that he's been in definitely the Did highest profile um i'm not sure what else he's been in,
1: in like that crackle snatch show like the Maybe show about, I, about snatch
0: yes on the wrong guy uh, Damn, man. <laughs> um but i like rupert grin a lot um i i think that sure. he is uh i i want to see him do like an indie turn you know like just show up in a bunch of like Americana, you know, like driving across. Uh, I got to get all the way to Wyoming. Um, but, you know, I have this dead body in the back of the car and I have syphilis. Like that would be great. Rupert Grant.
1: I mean, I will say that because uh, he's supposed to be like from Massachusetts in the film, right? Tie back. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, To uh, Speaking of Brady for Brady. Yeah. 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 Uh, I, I do think like his accent is maybe not uh, Massachusetts based. But I thought his nah. performance was really uh, impressive, and I, I definitely admire him for you know playing against a uh, type. Uh, People Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just fascinating because like obviously we've seen you know uh, Daniel Radcliffe do a number of things since Harry Potter. I mean, he's been going out of his way to like be you know. That's no, kind of different uh, though
0: because when he does his road trip to Wyoming with a corpse in the back of the car, he has gonorrhea.
1: Yeah. All,
0: All right, right. The cinema score.
1: All right. Uh, you got uh, spoiled no, just, on this. Sure. Uh, no, I just I just wanted to say I don't know. I thought it was cool to see Rupert Grant again, see him on the big screen, no less. Uh, yeah, and I thought he did, you know, outside of a you know maybe questionable accent, uh, not in the sense that like he did a bad job with the accent, but just the location of it. Uh, I I thought he uh, he did a nice job. And I'd like to see more turns from him. That's all I wanted to say about Rupert Grant. Okay, so the cinema score.
0: We both got spoiled on this. We both know what it yeah, is, we right? Did. Yeah, it's a C. Yeah,
1: it's a C. Yeah.
0: Yeah, C for cabin. Um, I do kind of miss when we would do that. Now we can't sure. really do it anymore because we don't do letter grades anymore. Sometimes yeah. we make the wrong decisions.
1: Hmm. Just kidding. No, uh, I think we can you've been tremendously better off. Yeah, uh, for not uh, doing letter grades, we would have had a lot of fighting if we had, if we gave our <laughs> letter grades for. Yeah,
0: I would have done a cabin. C. I would have done a C for cabin. I would have done a D for Dave. <laughs> You've been like, you, John, you moron, this is a B minus.
1: <laughs> no, I, right, I'd say it's higher than B minus, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I
0: know. <laughs> um, okay. On Letterboxd, we have 70,000 watches, quite a lot. Um, and, uh, but what do you have for your average rating? Zero to five, what do you got?
1: Um, that's, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I don't, I don't know. This could lead any number of ways, I think. Even more so than the Rotten Tomato scores um i'm going to say it is a i'm gonna do one i've done before
0: a 3.3 yeah it's so close so close 0.1 off you're okay. in the you're in the zone 3.2 or
1: 3.4 i'm gonna say 3.2
0: yeah, yeah i had 3.2 uh you did pretty well this week well thank you yeah if this was a game of horseshoes you'd be on top but all right that's knocked the cabin uh is now playing in theaters uh don't don't listen either if so you wanna watch this movie or you wanna skip it, you gotta do what you gotta do um but if you have do an opinion you,
1: you have, have to suck. make the choice
0: <laughs> <laughs> one of our our takes has to die, yeah. we can't do it ourselves
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: um well, well, this is fun. I hope uh the next Shyamalan uh movie when that comes out, we'll have worked out our baggage you know we'll sure. have, you have you know, done some kind of ceasefire.
1: <laughs> you say that, but like you are constantly just like, oh, we haven't fight. We haven't fight in a long time or like, you know, <laughs> we don't fight anymore. Uh, yeah. You know, and it's, it's, you know, it's sometimes fun to kind of go back and forth. We we're civil, but. Look, this, um, it, it,
0: everybody's saying it. Everybody says this podcast is like a marriage. And you know, a marriage is working when there's fighting. There's argument stuff. Sure. You know? Yeah.
1: I don't know. I mean, uh, yeah. I thought but We're was- getting
0: complacent. You know, we're just becoming roommates. <laughs>
1: I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think you said some fairly ridiculous things about this movie, but that's fine. That makes for solid radio. But I think, I think um, it gave
0: it, you gave it your, your, your baseball try. You know, you threw sure. the pitch and look, it, it was, it hit somebody in the audience, but that's okay. Like you, you put your strength into it.
1: Hmm. I don't know. I, I, what said are we my talking about? about Knock at the cabin.
0: What are we talking about next week? What's, uh, what's on the list? Magic Mike? Yeah. That's the movie or so. your place or mine?
1: No, I don't care about that. I mean, somebody I used fun. to know. I do want to see that. I, it, If we had more time, because it's, you know, God knows it's been hard to find times where we can record, it would be fun if we kept the tradition alive from last year where we did uh, like bonus of Marry Me and um, uh, mm. I Want You Back, the two rom coms. We yeah. kind of like had them compete. Uh, yeah, I think we did like a fun. blind
0: date kind of thing. It was nice.
1: Yeah, I mean it could be fun to do that again with um uh your place or mine or somebody I used to know. The two Valentine rom-coms heading the streaming this year. Uh but yeah, I feel like Magic Mike is the way to go for the main review.
0: I'll I'll look into it. I'm going to I'm Unless. I uh <clears throat> I uh <clears throat> oh, is anybody in here? That's, I've never watched the Magic Mike movies. Really? I've always wanted to.
1: They're fun. I, would I get to them. have
0: a fun weekend.
1: I was going to say, I mean, the other option is that we finally talk about Rink*, which is now on Shudder.
0: I don't know what that is. Okay. All right. Well, that'll do it for this week's episode of Cinemaholics. From the Internet, California, I'm John Negroni.
1: And from the Internet, Pennsylvania, I'm Washington.
0: Oh, jeez. Not again.
1: Oh, boy.